So I feel like you always have to choose if you, you know, want to have an active social life that maybe, uh, maybe you're not going to be a startup founder right then, or maybe you won't have young kids or whatever it might be, but you always kind of have to prioritize your time and figure out, you know, what's most valuable to you. And, and that is the thing that's most valuable to me is my time and who I spend it with. So particularly as I get older, I want to make sure that I'm focusing my time on the right stuff and the right people. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Ravi. Yeah, uh, I'm so glad to have you on because uh, we connected randomly over LinkedIn uh, off, a, off of a viral post. Um, and anyways, I thought it'd be really interesting to come and talk about that. So before we jump too far into that, could you give us a quick uh, intro uh, into who you are? Yeah, um, and I'm excited that we connected even however it came about. Uh, I'm John Stern. I'm one of the co-founders and CEO of Ringpin, and we're a platform that helps brands uh, sell more and engage with customers in real life. I live here in San Diego. Uh, as I'm sure you can hear the military aircrafts going above right right now, of course, right as we start this. Um, I live here in San Diego with my wife and two young kids and have always been involved in technology. And uh, outside of that, love playing basketball, the good weather out here and uh, hanging out with friends and family and listening to good music. Awesome, that's, that's quite the summary. Um, so so like going into, um, I, I like that because you came out of right off the, off the bat. <laughs> um, cool, so uh, going, going deeper into uh, what we connected on, right? These bad pictures, bad profile pictures for charity. Um, so you started this random campaign by throwing up a, a goofy picture on your LinkedIn page, I think, and people started asking about, uh, if you can do it for them and suddenly it became a whole, whole like minor uh, thing on, on LinkedIn. So could you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I think, uh, goofy is actually a compliment con <laughs> considering uh, how bad it was. I was actually just responding to a buddy of mine's post where he was looking for a graphic designer on LinkedIn he said, willing to pay. And um, I responded and, and did my best effort, which was obviously very bad. And, uh, and I basically got like the second most comments I've ever gotten uh, or, or likes on a comment. And so I could tell right away that something about the picture was, was uh, doing something to people. So then, uh, so then the next day I made a post, Hey, I realized, you know, people might need more help with LinkedIn profile picture refreshes. So you know, I'll make my services available, but I promise they're going to be really bad and, and, uh, I won't accept any money for them because they're going to be horrible. Uh, so then a bunch of people wanted them and then we decided to, to start a little charity drive for them and might as well, you know, get a good cause going. So kind of shocking to me that so many people have wanted them, but I've gotten a ton of messages that they make people smile. So I'm super happy to be able to do that. And it's met a, a ton of great people from it also. So it's been a win all around. Yeah. You know what it is? I think it's because so much of us take LinkedIn so seriously that throwing up something like that on our profile picture where everyone else is so manicured and like professional this, professional that, like having that kind of juxtaposition just like kind of throws that to the wind, right? It's like there's like uh, uh, on Instagram, a great account called LinkedIn Flex, which just trolls LinkedIn oh, yeah. people for like horrible types of like flexing on LinkedIn, right? Like using their professionalism and stuff like that. But like, um, so like, I think there's a lot of like comedy needed around LinkedIn to like tone it down. 
especially with the startup community, the innovation community, and the tech community there, which is yeah. very different from the suit and tie professionalisms, right? Like we have our way of being professional, which is like speaking through our work and not necessarily in how we act or dress, right? Um, so us, uh, so the innovation community, as we're, as we're onboarding more and getting more popular on LinkedIn, I think like this is so needed. Uh, to kind of break that idea of what it means to be like a LinkedIn professional or, or LinkedIn profile. Um, or do you not think that deep and just think it was a fun thing to do? Like, I'd love to hear your thoughts. You know, I actually, I, I typically don't think that deep about it, but I do totally agree. And, and it hit the mark that LinkedIn does take itself too seriously. And everyone's worried about, you know, putting on airs on there. And, and I try and be a real person. And I actually never, I've never posted about my business, I don't think, on LinkedIn, but I post about some things that I've learned or communities that I'm a part of. Um, so I think that, yeah, LinkedIn definitely needs something fun and something distracting. People are scrolling for hours, but also people like seeing um, someone be really bad at stuff. <laughs> and I'm trying my hardest on these pictures, but no matter how hard I try, they're always really bad. And they like to see, oh, I'm, you know, I can do yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> so I think the combination of, you know, me not taking myself too seriously, people needing something to laugh at. And then also to think that, you know, I'm way better than someone at something always feels good too. So I think that there's an element of that also, but I really don't know what it is as long as, you know, it cracks me up every time I see one of those profiles commenting or starting a thread or something. So as long as people like it and I can find time to do it, I'll, I'll keep doing mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So like, uh, I think that uh, we're aligned to that so much, like part of going live on LinkedIn, like we are right now, uh, it's like you're breaking past that barrier. Like so many of us are, um, so many people are attuned to like, LinkedIn's been around for like 20 years, uh, you know, to be, mm -hmm. you know, like that suit and tie resume, uh, professionalism, uh, the kind of culture. The thing is, like, uh, LinkedIn's newest numbers came out, and it's like there's 700 million users on LinkedIn, all using it for professional rate of uh, abilities, right? So the sales act running on top of it. There's marketing act acting on, running on top of it. There's a hiring and recruiting happening on top of it, uh, and LinkedIn monetizes off of that. But less than 1% of that community actually creates content. And so the arbitrage yeah. here, I think, is for anyone who's out here, uh, you know, broadcasting and doing cool things, and uh, not being afraid to like be, you know, get their artsy side out or, or um, you know, project their image of who they actually are, kind of stands out from the crowd. Uh, and I think we have the capability to uh, make more use of the community here on LinkedIn uh, with that. I, I totally agree. And, you know, what's the downside? Like if you do something, no one looks at it. You get no views or likes, then no one sees it. And it's as if it never happened. Uh, I really slept on LinkedIn probably for about the first 10 years I was on the platform. And then I have uh, a guy I call my friend tour, Scott Lees, who encouraged me to get on, you know, more active. And since then, I've seen so many great results, you know, through people that I've met. And, you know, only now am I starting to see some business opportunities come through from it. But just meeting great people. And, uh, you know, like you said, there's so many people on it. People, you know, every other platform basically... Uh, I won't say what it is, but they, you know, make fun of LinkedIn. And uh, the truth is, if you really put a lot of time and effort into it, that you can get a lot out of it. Yeah. And I'd love to deep, dive a little deeper into that for you because, you know, you're a founder as well, uh, especially from the West Coast and Cali. Uh, and speaking of that, like, right, it seems to me that LinkedIn has evolved throughout the years, definitely. Um, I, I used it to build my resume up. And, and then later on, you apply for jobs. And then only recently in the last four years has it become a channel, mostly because 
uh, Gary V has been yelling about it on, on, on Instagram. And because I follow him every time back in like 2018, I would scroll past and he would be screaming. It's like, why aren't you producing content? I'm like, I don't know, you know? And uh, so this idea of like being a content producer, as I think has changed a lot. And especially for founders, um, being able to broadcast your message, uh, your values kind of cuts around uh, the regular sales channels uh, approaches of, uh, of doing this, right? So uh, I've, I've found that a lot of founders who have been able to you know, get in front of self-made media, either through our podcast or projecting, projecting things on their own, can bypass the regular gatekeepers, you know, like needing a sales team, needing the capital to afford a sales team, having that stellar professional 20 years experience come and join your team and running things for you, or having that coach that trains you how to do it yourself. Or hopefully coming from a career path that where you can do that, right? There's so much blockages when it comes to like uh, getting ideas out delivered to the world. Um, so, what are your thoughts on that? Like being a founder, do you feel more comfortable on LinkedIn? You know, are, you, are you being forced? Are you forcing yourself to become comfortable there for that reason? Pretty, pretty much. To be frank with you, you know, I'm I'm a little bit older, and I grew up before social media, and I spent my entire life trying to stay off of social media. Uh, you know, and then Scott was like, you know, what are you doing? Like, how do you only have 500 connections? You've been doing good work for a long time. I was like, well, you know, I never post on there. And it's funny how you say how you started on LinkedIn. I started on LinkedIn back in the day because it used to tell you who your connections connected to. So I used to connect with all my competitors. Uh, I was in the ISP world then. So connect with the people from AT&T and Comcast and Cox and all that. And then it would say this person connected with this person. And all of a sudden I was getting all my competitors deal flow just through the LinkedIn connection, seeing who everyone was connecting to. And, you know, we could offer our products because we were new, they, in, they were in the market or something. And then the people would ask to connect with me. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 I like to be a real world friend instead of an online friend so that they wouldn't see who I was connecting with. So they wouldn't come after my business. Um, but then, you know, there, as more and more people got on the platform, there became a huge opportunity to, you know, reach a lot of people. Like if I were trying to get the number of views that I get through LinkedIn, through other channels, I would typically have to pay a lot of money, you know, to, to get that many eyeballs on something. And uh, I really do have to get better about talking about what I do and my business on LinkedIn. I'm more comfortable talking about other people and other businesses that I'm, a, you know, that I'm knowledgeable about and communities that I'm active in. But it is such an opportunity to talk directly to the person that could be your customer and, and build those connections that normally you would have to go through so many gatekeepers. So I am outside of my comfort zone doing it. I have been, you know, kind of in front of the camera or online for a while. I used to, you know, I have a kind of colorful background of, of doing a lot of different interesting things, including kind of being a poker blogger or whatever that put me, you know, uh, posting or creating content for a long time before it was called, you know, a creator or anything like that. But um, really kind of adjusting to to the role of talking about a company, talking about what I'm doing and not feeling like a sellout or just like a walking advertisement. That's so interesting you say that because it's like you're, you're absolutely right. Before it was like creating content or, or doing anything like that. Like you, you feel like that idea of selling out, like you're doing it for the love of it, but you have a day job, you know, and it's like uh, and it's now it's like those kind of worlds kind of blend. It's like, oh, I can do what I love and project it out there to people. And through that, I can get business for what I actually want, actually do for a living. Um, and, you know, I love to uh, I love to dive deeper into that, you know, like how has sales and, uh, you know, meeting people 
networking changed to social networking and um, social media now that you know they, they, it finally hooked you in uh, and brought you into the ecosystem um, have you felt have you felt like your business have improved or you've been forced to change things are you running lighter like many people have talking about with less overhead yeah um, a ton of things have changed and, and it's interesting because the timing also coincided pretty much with the pe- beginning of the pandemic. So, you know, in order to meet new people, you had to stay online when, you know, you couldn't go offline and meet anyone. So uh, there was a ton of people out there that all of a sudden, you know, if they were used to in-person trade shows or events or whatever, they were looking to connect. There was this whole group of people looking to connect at the same time. And, you know, I've, I've like back in the day, I was kind of part of a poker community, but never really been big on communities or anything growing up. And uh, I found a couple that I really liked, you know, at that time and all these people and I found all these talented people. And I really feel like uh, I've leveled up my own game just by surrounding myself with really talented people and and learning from them. And, um, you know, it it opens up recruiting opportunities. It opens up business opportunities. And you just never know, like I connected with you because of these drawing pictures, you know, who maybe you post about something or someone in your network posts about something that's relevant to my business. I make a comment on that post, you know, only because I saw it because I knew you. And then a potential customer sees my comment on that post and gets in touch with me because of that. I've had that happen multiple times now, you know, saying I saw your comment on LinkedIn and realized that we had to talk. Uh, And getting that is, you know, validation that this time that I've put into it is really paying off, not to mention the fact that, you know, I've been able to surround myself with so many talented people that were never available to me before when I was just looking internally in the company instead of, you know, externally to this network of people out there. Yeah, uh, I love how you brought that up. Um, There's a few words there, you know, that you said that uh, really, really um, kind of popped out. And this idea of like, uh, you know, finding talent, sourcing talent uh, differently, right? There's a huge talent shortage everywhere you look. Uh, everyone is talking about this. In sales, there's a talent shortage in AI and development and in, in research and technology and even political science and in, uh, in developing new concepts, right? So in economics, trying to figure out what's happening with inflation, like all these different places are looking for like more talent. And what I think is like what's ha- happening is like with Web 3.0, etc the metaverse etc coming up is that we're actually developing a better way to search uh, for talent you know indirectly because it used to be before we used to posture a lot right like you came in with a the nice set of car keys a nice suit that, that designer bag what you know like you're you're projecting that you're someone who's capable because you have done this and you walk in that trade room or you know with the biggest boot there you project strength and then you gain things, right? Whereas not necessarily the best of us win. It's a, those who can posture the best or can project themselves who have the, the capabilities to do that. So money or you know or access kind of outweigh things. And what I think the internet has done is that uh, you know especially with post COVID, it's shaking that all up. We can no longer posture in person uh, that much anymore. So and uh, we're limited for how much we can online. So now we're forced to fr- figure out how to inter- interact with each other, right? So. These kind of signals of like, oh, this guy did this cool thing or he is, you know, or this girl like really talks about things I care about. Uh, I think we're trying to get we're actually going back, like devolving to how things used to be, where we're becoming more tribal through the Internet. We're connecting over values and then trade follows afterwards. Right. Because, uh, you know, we, we found our place of intersection. Um, so whether that be the bubbles, we find in our social networks uh, or be in our social what our social feeds deliver us. These algorithms are building these digital tribes for us. 
And then social commerce is becoming uh, more and more applicated, right? And I think this is actually being led not uh, not by the consumer industry, but actually by B2B. Because how businesses are interacting with each other is now all on social. You know, like why LinkedIn is so big is is like, yeah, can my business and your business do things together? Who are you individually connected to? You know, are you the decision maker? Like you can you can you can determine all these information factors now online, right? But what it opens and up get for, to know each other. Oh, go ahead. Mm, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Um, I'd love you to continue the thoughts. No, basically just get to know each other faster because you don't have to get in person and in front of each other. You can hop on a Zoom. And, you know, one of my favorite things to do is recommend people for jobs and, and help people mm-hmm. get out of, you know, job situations that they want to improve. And, you know, I don't like doing that if I don't know that I can, you know, really get behind the person or whatever. So I like to meet him real quick. And then I say, okay, I get to know what you're looking for. And if I feel comfortable, you know, uh, referring you to that job. And because there's so much more access now, I think that that is all expedited. And like you said, people are getting tribal, you know, they want to work with people that they like. And, you know, if they have someone that they like from a community, and they see a job opening somewhere, they might say, Oh, maybe you should talk to this person. And, uh, and it really can, like, I think it's the new way to get jobs is is through either social or networking or through people you know, as opposed to kind of just sending a resume into a pile of resumes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And like so many aspects of our life, like, you know, uh, it's like helping us reconnect. Um, so love to tie this back into your journey as a founder with Ringpin. Um, can you talk a bit about, more about your company, uh, your startup? Uh, what does you do? And um you know, what, 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 where, where you are currently on your trajectory. Yeah, we're pretty early in the journey because um, we have a pretty big mission. And uh, what we're doing is we're helping brands sell more and engage with their customers in the physical world. So kind of bring like all the best of this digital and e-commerce that's happened over the past few years and bring that back, you know, to the real world. Uh, a good example is like putting a QR code on a can like this. So that, you know, there's a lot of different brands and and this way customers can engage with the brand, feel the brand story and purchase more instantly. So kind of changing the way that people buy and also the way that brands can engage with their customers. And, um, you know, as you know, here in in the U.S., the usage of digital wallets and QR codes really exploded, you know, with the pandemic and it's stuff that has been popular globally for a long time. So we saw a really unique opportunity with the timing to, you know, serve the biggest market. And, uh, and, uh, it's been exciting trying to figure out where to go and, and kind of stay in front of it. And, um, as you, like the Super Bowl commercial was, was a great example of, uh, how someone broke all the rules and still executed and showed how you could take a commercial and get people to engage digitally with it. Um, so there's tons of opportunity and it's, it's kind of an exciting time. I feel like kind of pioneers in a, in a new frontier. Hmm. I like, I like you brought that up, like, you know, a pioneer in, the, in a new frontier, um, in terms of that. Um, you know, so I, I started working a lot um, through the online trading academy, Uvero, where I'm teaching now, uh, with a lot of a lot of people, especially across the United States, coming from different, various different backgrounds, trying to transition into the tech industry, uh, particularly the tech sales industry. And one of the things I've learned is that, you know, outside looking in, the tech industry seems like it's booming completely. And yet there's, there's all these places where there's gaps in terms of support, in terms of infrastructure, because... 
the, what was there before is gone. All the co-working spaces, all all the all the trade shows, all the support systems to allow small companies to kind of come together and figure things out. Right. As things have gone online, has that hindered your business or has it uh, like emboldened it? Like, do you feel like you can you've been able to do more with less? Um, how has that changed the you know direction of being a founder? Yeah, I think that you kind of nailed it, that you can do more with less now. It really depends because there was, you know, a lot of different things going on. It was the best, you know, uh, climate for fundraising probably in the history of the world up until <laughs> like six months ago or something. Everyone was so, raising. So, you know, some people, exactly. It didn't matter necessarily if they had something or solved a real problem or whatever, but with no code tools. And like I said, with, um, you know, the access to people like LinkedIn and other social networks have, like in the beginning when we were developing our product, I could easily get eight people a day to jump on a Zoom with me, take a look at it and give me their feedback. And I don't know any other time that you can get like that quick a feedback loop uh, and talk to that many people that quickly. So I really do think it is a unique time to uh, get something out there. And with the launch of no code tools, you don't need as much, uh, you know, development budget in the beginning, you could get something easy that works off the ground, see if it works and then spend more on the development. But on the other side of that, I do hear people say all the time too, like, Oh, you know, you can launch anything now, uh, with no code tools and build your own website. Uh, you know, but I think that that you need to build something good. Like, you know, just putting a website up doesn't mean that you're all of a sudden going to have a good business. So it's easier to get started, but there, because it's easier to get started, there's a lot of people in there also, and you really need to make sure that you're differentiated or have a reason that people would use yours over anything else. Yeah. Um, I follow the work of like uh, Naval, um, uh, Naval Ravikant from AngelList a lot. Uh, you know, especially, you know, he caught my attention from his tweet storm. But since then, like all these different ideas that come off of it. And this idea that like what we're really seeing is like a new type of worker, like the knowledge athlete as he calls it, right? Which is like, you're, you're, you don't, you're not necessarily working uh, as an information worker processing information. You're now building systems, right? Whether a startup for yourself or in a company, you're, you, you know, uh, the ones that are rewarded the most are the ones who can build uh, systems that can you know, do what departments did just a decade or two ago, right? Uh, so in terms of like, you know, com- you know, all these available tools, yeah, all these are available, but I think what's necessary is a knowledge on what to do with them. And, you know, we're seeing like 14-year-olds figure this out and they're building their own mini empires, right? Uh, 50-year-olds who are transitioning from different empire, uh, different careers, like selling their old uh, old industries on a transition to new. Uh, so like across ages, there's different, you know, different uh, journeys happening here and capabilities. Like where in, in terms of this is like where a lot of people are feel like they're also being left behind because of knowledge gaps and not enough transformational knowledge to catch up. Uh, one of the things I'm, I'm being conscious of is like trying to be conscious of is that we live in a bubble, right? Like everyone I know or deal with are, you know, either are remotely employed and are okay or are running startups and, 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 and all that. I'm not seeing the other side of like people who might be struggling uh, or at least not visible. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think like in this market, like we can get trapped in these kind of bubbles. How do we keep ourselves looking for like new ideas? You know, that's that's tricky because I used to think that the ideas were so important and maybe I'm jaded over time, but I'm, I'm less into the idea now and more into the execution. Um, but you're right. It is a total bubble. And uh, like I said before, I'm a little bit older and I felt like way out of, 
you know, Web3 and NFTs, just got my first NFTs a couple of weeks ago. Basically, I was forced to because of those drawings that I was doing on LinkedIn. Everyone said I needed to make them into NFTs and someone wanted them. So I had to mint one. And, and now at least I've gone through that process. But, uh, you know, I feel way out of touch with, with that world right now. And it's just because I've been so focused on what I'm doing. I didn't want to take the attention away, even though I know that there's exciting stuff going on there. Um, so it's really, you got to pick your battles, particularly when I have two young kids, uh, have a startup, you know, try and be a good husband, a good father, all that type of stuff. It, it's hard to, to go hard at that many different things. Uh, mm-hmm. so I feel like you always have to choose if you, you know, want to have an active social life that maybe, uh, maybe you're not going to be a startup founder right then, or maybe you won't have young kids or whatever it might be, but you always kind of have to prioritize your time and figure out, you know, what's most valuable to you. And, and that is the thing that's most valuable to me is my time and who I spend it with. So particularly as I get older, I want to make sure that I'm focusing my time on the right stuff and the right people. Uh, so kind of constantly reevaluating how I spend my time and, and making sure it's in the right places. And I guess that's how I come across the ideas is, you know, from the people that I'm hanging out with and, and my interests and just, you know, kind of see if I can solve personal problems or if, you know, I really enjoy the people that I, I talk to, like we get creative ideas together, just discussing problems or things in life and um, kind of maybe it sounds weird, like online getting a bigger and bigger circle, but in real world, you know, having a tighter circle. Tightening it up. That's so interesting you say that because I was just thinking about this uh, a few nights, uh, a few nights ago, uh, this idea that like, you know, I'm more bonded with everyone close to me than ever before. Because the last few years, me and my wife have been working at home remotely. And we realized, Mm -hmm. like before this, we would have never seen each other. We spent 10 days, uh, uh, 10 hours out of the day away from each other, right? Either at work or traveling to and from work. And it's just like, we've spent so much time together. Like, we haven't spent that much time since university. And it's like... We've gotten so much closer together. And also to other uh, other um, other relationships. Like in the middle of the day, I can call people and be like, yo, how you doing? What's going on? We can like, you know, uh, catch up because like they're free and able to, not in, running from running to and from work. So it's like are, you're able to maintain a different set of social order around yourself, right? Like, uh, yeah. That, that, that kind of your relationship has changed. Um, back in the day, people used to joke about, you know, having that work wife or the work husband that's uh, that, who's so emotionally supportive during the work hours and uh, can potentially lead to like dangerous situations, right? But like now, uh, you don't have, you're not in those kind of strange environments anymore, right? So it's almost like we've gone back culturally. And again, again, Naval talks about this, like when we used to like farm from our house and like have only like 400 people that we're directly interacting with and yeah. everyone else is like, uh, you know, separated from you, right? But now we're connected online, so I like how you kind of, uh, kind of, kind of brought that up because it's something I've been thinking about as well. But in talking, uh, you know, I want to jump back into Ringpin and um, give a little highlight there for that business and how that kind of evolved. Because it seems to me like there's a new class of like worker, uh, you know, with a, with a knowledge workers, knowledge athletes coming up that more people than ever are launching these companies. Right. So I want to I want to break down your journey as an entrepreneur a little bit yeah. because, uh, you know, we touched upon the professional side of how it kind of came up. But like, you know, what was the launch of the company like? What was the chief problem you're trying to solve? And where do you see the vision, uh, the vision uh, morphing into? Yeah, uh, let's start with the vision where we want to go. We want to be, you know, the payment processor for people that are purchasing stuff in the real world. And maybe, you know, not process the payments, but be the the method or the vehicle which they use to to buy to buy everything. Mm-hmm. And also the way that 
companies can really get to know their customers. Like if you're selling a beverage, usually it's in a store, the company never knows who ends up buying it and, and never gets to build a relationship with them. We can help bring those people closer together. So it's a pretty big vision and kind of feels like what the Jetsons, you know, had in their, their cartoon back in the day where you can communicate from anywhere and get exactly what you want at any time. But, uh, you know, it really, um, started basically with what you're saying. Like, I feel like my co-founder is one of those, it's, it's cliche now at this point, but 10 X engineers that can really, you know, move mountains and, um, you know, lead a very small team to, to build big things. So him and I had always both been into remote communications and also, um, you know, trying to figure out new ways to communicate with customers for commerce in the e-commerce world. And, um, and really, when the pandemic came around, we saw this unique opportunity of all these things, like I said, that are happening everywhere else in the world, finally coming to the United States. And we thought that we had, were uniquely positioned to, uh, you know, develop a platform to uh, to do this based on, you know, where we'd both worked in the past and everything. So um, it really kind of the pandemic forced us to do something that we had been thinking about and noodling for a long time because we didn't think that there would be another opportunity like that where kind of our market was just opening up for something where it was the least mature in the world for that market and we could kind of you know see what's worked other places and bring it here so uh it it wasn't something that we were necessarily planning on doing prior to the pandemic and it it just kind of all came together with the market opportunity so this is a pandemic baby Pandemic baby, but, you know, we think the pandemic just accelerated these behaviors that were going to happen anyways. And, um, you know, now it's finally happening. Uh, So, you know, everyone knows QR codes have been around forever, but they never really, you know, caught on in the U.S. until the pandemic forced them to. And now people are starting to see, oh, there's actually interesting things that can happen on the other side of this. So that's what we're concentrating on is providing like unique personalized experiences at the other side. So, you know, we have an API that we're not just sending people to a page, we're sending them to a personalized experience based on any information that we have about them or the product that they looked at or anything like that. So uh, we're trying to build like this personalized experience that when people, you know, they can buy something exactly when they want, the brand can get across whatever digital campaign they want, and they can change the messaging over time. Uh, without having just a static advertisement, you know, in, in a space. So really trying to, you know, bridge the gap between the consumer and the brands and make it easier for both sides to do whatever they want to do. Yeah. Uh, is there, uh, do you have like a user journey map uh, what it looks like for either you know, the consumer or like the brand? Um, because we've seen some stories coming out of, uh, out of Asia, like who is way ahead of the curve in, the, in, the, in these kind of departments, right? In utilizing QR codes and payments and, and things like that. So like there's a lot of use cases we come out of there that it's like, it seems so wild to us, but like, are we going to be catching up to that kind of behavior or are we inventing our own, you know, with what's possible? That's a great question. And I think it still remains to be seen. I think the easiest thing is to bet on things that have worked already. So, yeah. you know, incorporate what they're already doing with, you know, basically scan to pay and self checkout and that type of thing. And as you talked about with user journey, we have a few different use cases because we have a lot of in retail store uh, installations and those use cases are different. They're trying to usually bring the best of digital into the store and like enhance the experience with additional video or information or whatever it might be. But when you go on a product or package, that's trying to be the voice of the company to the person and make it easy for them to rebuy. So it depends like where it's deployed. There's different use cases 
for it. But um, I think that it's really, you know, remain to be seen if, if we discover a new way to use them or follow what the rest of the world is doing. But if, if I had to bet on one of those, I would bet on us, us following. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, so there's one thing like I saw uh, like a while ago that's still blowing my mind. Just because talk about live streaming and what we're doing, right? So uh, in like there was this, uh, this uh, live streamer from, from China who was at a fish market and they were live streaming themselves talking about fish. And this went on for like quite a while. They, were, they picked up fish and they're talking about it. And in the app, people who are logging in, you know, all through we, uh, WeChat could go watch him talk about the fish and buy where to get delivered by the house. fish yeah right i mean social commerce to a like you know that that seems so futuristic to us and yet like as a salesperson like i'm like that's so exciting it's so intriguing like you're telling me that i can just broadcast my message and an algorithm will determine based off you know which network i'm going to or multi-networks like right now we're on linkedin we're on twitch we're on youtube uh, we could be on twitter but twitter has not released in canada yet out of the beta right so like all these networks i can use you can just broadcast to you and the algorithms will take apart by our messaging, what we're talking about, and deliver this piece of content to those who like be most personalized for. So, like, yeah, I, I feel like it'll it'll open up a whole new set of conversion um, at, uh, capabilities, right? But in terms of like you know IoT, um, you know you know making smart items, especially uh, products that consumers can interact with, this is also another subset of this, right? Because the interoperability of like of uh, uh, personalizing that brand experience of building brand identity. How do you feel that, or is there any analogs for how brand identity or brand inter interactions would change with this? Like, like, like just like socials online has changed how businesses interact with customers with like Wendy's and all these companies that having running jokes on Twitter. Right. Do you feel like there's any ways that we can culturally change how we interact? Like, you know, with our items, um, and I know it's a broad, broad sc scoping items, but I've been watching a lot of uh, sci-fi lately, and uh, I'm looking for like, uh, you know, where where could this kind of go? We think that there's opportunities, kind of what we talked about before, bringing the social aspect around it, where there can be communities created around products. You know, mm -hmm. like let's say everyone that scans this certain product, you know they like that. Uh, since I have hair for the first time in my life, you know they like that shampoo. And maybe everyone that likes that shampoo, you know, joins a community. And all of a sudden now there's like community updates and things like that. So mm -hmm. we think that there are ways for people to change the way that they interact with products and um, for brands to kind of be more personable also. You know, some of our tools... Uh, allow you to take a selfie. So like you could scan the shampoo bottle, take a selfie, like, hey, how does your hair look after it? And then the shampoo bottle could all of a sudden have a highlight reel of all their users, you know, in real life showing their user generated content of how their hair looked. Or for you, you could put up a QR code in your background during these broadcasts. And anyone that scans it, um, it could geolocate where they are. And based on where they are, maybe it serves the Toronto school that you're a part of for training sales. And maybe in California, it shows them something else. So like ways to give unique experiences to everybody. And then those people can bond around those unique experiences. So I think that there are a ton of ways. And, and I think that the more that brands act like people instead of businesses, the better chance that they have to connect with other people, whether it's in social or real life or whatever, and opportunities for them to bring fans together. So like everyone that loves a certain brand or product that they make it easier for those people to come together too. And the brand's going to end up winning in the end. 
Yeah. So um, we had an NF, NFT slash QR code company very early on on our podcast. Uh, this is like mm-hmm. number one. You're, I think you're 166, right? 166 episode. Nice. Um, I think like somewhere down to 14 or 15, we had Nicholas, Nick Fisher came in with a, a company called Tap, Tap Menu, which was a QR code slash NFC card. They, yeah, I just met with them recently. So they made us oh, a, cool. a custom card. Uh, but they just trans- awesome. they just transitioned into like a NFC based um, card company, and what they did was they built like micro apps on top of it, so you can turn it into like smart apps that you can tap to phones and like boom, like you can like you can move information bits through um, through atoms, right? Exchange and- contact info and stuff like that, or what types of apps do they have on there? Yeah, so you can actually build your own micro app. I just open up the app, um, so you can on live change like within the within the system like which app to set. Oh, cool. And then you can tap live and then information changes. So you can like send, oh, super send cool. a link. You can send a deck. You can build micro apps with the, you know, that, that can uh, deploy different things. But um, I think the idea, like I, I love the idea of like, of like, uh, you know, like smart everything, right? Being able to interact digitally through, uh, through items. Yeah. So this is like a smart card that, makes me be able to transition information onto your device that you can walk away with. Uh, you're talking about a product that, you know, brands can just, you know, put up like Coke cans and, uh, or like uh, other drink beverages where companies can tap in and be like, yo, I really like this, you know, this Arizona drink, right. And connect with right. other people who like really like it. Um, uh, you know, there was a statement, uh, you know, I talked about last year on, on um, Clubhouse, the idea that web 3.0 is going to be built on, on micro communities and micro economies. And, and it seems to me what you're really doing is building micro economies around people, uh, products that people are, are tapping into. What does a micro uh, economy look like that can be built on top of this? Like once these communities kind of establish around products, how can brands re, uh, like, you know, touch point with them or like, you know, create touch points within them? This is probably the part that I don't know the, the capabilities of enough of, you know, where the future is going for that. Mm-hmm. But I think that there's ways to reward the key members of that community. They get exclusive offers and insight, not to mention the brand uses that. So now they have the direct ear of their top customers. So if they need to do any like surveys or market research or whatever, they already have that community out there. So like I talked about to mm-hmm. get the feedback loop, you know, they could put some contest in their community. They could get a million responses you know right away and and direct product production because of that so i think that it's really kind of untapped of what you can do when you bring all of your fans together in an easy place and it still kind of remains to be seen how brands utilize that and and how that really happens right um yeah so like i I, like you're talking about your shampoo options right like your your the, the example you brought up um, you know, I can fully see, like, imagine, like, you know, the, the shampoo company, like, you know, runs like a thing. It's like, whoever uses it, put up a picture of your hair afterwards, you know, show it off, uh, you know, make mm-hmm. some micro content about, you know, uh, like as a review, right? So if you really like, you tap it, you join that community, see how other people, you know, style using it, et cetera, right? Um, and like, you can create like a micro, ex- you can create experiences or create even like content, like, um, or, or, or micro influencers within that kind of community itself right reward them for like exactly. uh, you know, doing some kind of interactions so uh, you know it's, it's kind of cool i mean i think we're really at that pivotal point where like what the hell is web 3.0 but like everything has to like kind of transition around um these, these web 3.0 products do you feel like it's going to be like 
Web 1.0, where a lot of these, because you've seen a lot of everyone calling themselves Web 3.0 companies. Is it going to be like a boom and bust, like the dot-com bubble? Or is it going to be like quiet transition, like the Web 2.0, where like all these comp- apps came, came up to be in the market, but then a few winners and a lot of just like uh, laggards left behind, right? Um, yeah. Do you see like a, a curve coming in like uh, who's going to win out this battle? Or do you think it's uniquely different, this transition for how the internet functions? I, w- I wish I knew more about it. I know that a lot of people threw Web3 in their name, you know, to, to raise rounds and things like that. <laughs> I think as yeah. the economy gets more uncertain, uh, things will get back to being like fundamental businesses, what's going to work and, and stuff like that. And I think that that will win out in the end. But there definitely is, you know, a trend towards Web3 companies right now, the same as, you know, putting AI or ML in your name a couple years ago or blockchain, you know, last year or something like that. Um, so it's, you know, definitely the hot, anything having crypto, NFTs, Web3. Uh, but in the end, like you're going to need to build a valuable company and 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 that's what's going to win out. So I don't know if it's like, you know, if everyone's going to choose that name or if a couple big, you know, Web3 companies make it and then everyone else does. Uh, you know, I, I wish I knew more about it. Yeah, um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how it all plays out. Um, yeah, so tying into, you know, as, as we close up the show, I, I want to tie back into this uh, charity and NFT experience, um, you know, that you built that came out of uh, the, the, the post we're talking about earlier. Um, can you talk a little bit about the, the, the charity initiative, um, if there is anything in particular you would like to highlight, where, you know, where that capital is going to and the NFT side, uh, how people can support if you're still running that or promoting it? Yeah, the, the site is still live. If you go to uh, ringpin.com or ringp.in slash draw, mm-hmm. that's how uh, you can get them. And basically any donation to charity, I'll draw a picture. Uh, and I partnered with this company called Gives, uh, G-I-V-Z, and, and they're really cool over there and make it super easy to start up a Shopify site. And then you can choose what percentage you want to go to the charity of each sale. So instead of necessarily giving a discount, you, you know, have a charity component to your sales. So brands, you know, have been partnering with them for that. And I just made the entire thing for charity instead of, you know, a percentage of the sale. So what also is really cool about Gives is they let people pick which charity they want to give to. So anyone could pick whatever charity they wanted. Uh, a bunch of people picked some Ukraine things, you know, because it started, you know, a couple of days before that. Okay. Um, but there's been a ton of cool charities involved. And I always ask people who they donated to because I don't get to see that part in the beginning. And then I look up that charity and, you know, try and learn as much as I can about them. So it's been cool to see what people are interested in, who they're supporting. Um and then, like I said, a couple of people said, oh, these need to be minted as NFTs. And one guy said, oh, I'll do it. If you if you get it, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. So I, you know, I went down the rabbit hole and figured took about four hours and figured out how to do it all and um, and minted a couple of NFTs. And then I needed to transfer it to this guy and he didn't know how to do it. So him and I spent a few hours and we ended up making this hilarious diagram about basically that we need to hire a 14 year old to do all this for us. Um, and, and now we have a few, there's like six or seven of them that are NFTs also. So, uh, it's mostly, you know, just for fun and giggles and, and anything, particularly you think it's been a a pretty heavy time recently for a lot of people and not as serious. And if it brings some smiles and laughs, then I'm, then I'm all for it. So I wasn't sure if I was going to keep the site going, you know, but I, 
you know, pretty much every day I'm getting some sort of message saying, Hey, I love your drawings. How do I get one? And all that stuff. And I, it smile, it makes me smile every time I see one. So, uh, I'm going to keep on doing it as long as I can, you know, uh, have the time and energy and, and people still want them. That's awesome. I like how this kind of inspired like a whole artistic transformation, right? Like of like doing something creative. Um, you know, I, I like that. I like that joy it definitely brings. Um, do you see yourself like, you know, spinning this out as like something you do uh, as for social content and inter- interaction with people? Or do you see it as it's like something that, you know, deeper than that, like, you know, you want to take it somewhere else and uh, do some more creative stuff? People are asking me to, to take it some other places. I'm going to see kind of and, and take it slow. Uh, there's been some fun ones, though, like where I could basically people at an event would take a selfie and then they would send me the selfie and I would send them back a picture. And I know there's yeah. so many different social platforms right now. So like I only did it on LinkedIn. I think it could be popular on other platforms, but it's kind of hard to spend a ton of time on that when I'm heads down, you know, trying to get ring pin off the ground. So trying to balance everything, uh, you know, it's hard, but kind of like you said, I, I always considered myself and I still do a horrible artist and with no talent. So the fact that people actually like some of them or, or it makes them laugh is great to me. And to be frank, it's a little bit relaxing sometimes at the end of the day, you know, I've been deep into whatever I've been doing just to sit there and draw a couple pictures is pretty fun. So I guess I do, I have a creative side, whether or not it's talented and it's fun to be able to, uh, you know, express that or at least do some work in it. Cause as you can tell, I haven't spent a lot of time uh, on our, my artistic endeavors in life. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I just want to end with the, the NFT angle of that, you know, especially talking about the micro community aspect. One of the things that uh, NFTs allow is for communities to develop. Um, is there an angle there for people to, you know, whoever gets a drawing or donates at the charity, you know, also gets like an access token into like a, a Discord server or um, some kind of community action? I haven't thought about that for the drawings yet, but we did think about there are a few communities that I thought about doing a drawing for every member of that community as, as kind of one of the perks that you get. Mm-hmm. But uh, our Ringpin platform does have an API and we've thought a bunch of times about creating unique sites and basically that you would need to have the token in order to control what happens on that website. And people could, you know, obviously sell the token and then another person gets access and then they they control what happens on that site or when people scans that QR code. So we have thrown out a few different ideas there, but haven't really settled on any yet. And and like I said, I, I, I wish I knew more about it to, to have a stronger indication of what we should do. But our platform can build, you know, 10,000 unique pages at a time. So I think that there is some sort of, um, you know, unique benefit to that and just haven't found like a great use case for it yet. Mm-hmm, that's awesome. I feel like, uh, you know, you're, you're sitting on some really cool stuff um, and there's some companies, some, some creating outlet that's going to come um, out of these pictures and it's going to drive, um, drive ring pin somewhere else. Cause uh, you know, building that community angle, right. Once you have the NFT, you know, the creative side of building a community and that'll translate into the technology side, right? Like how can, like, I like that mission statement of how can you create micro communities around these experiences, these products would provide us, right. Uh, there's so many things that we use every day that are whatever, but there are some products that like mean a lot, you know, the right razor, like, you know, uh, you know, you, you know, that you, you always buy into, the right hair products, you know, that car brand, you know, Mercedes, like I'm not going to buy anything else. People care a lot about their brands. They identify themselves a lot based off of uh, the products they consume. 
Um, so I really appreciate you taking the time, John, to come in and talking about these ideas, introducing uh, us to also the creative endeavors behind uh, running, uh, other than running a company. Uh, so thank you again for taking the time to come on the show. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It was a blast talking about that type of stuff. Perfect. And just to repeat it uh, uh, at the end, where can people find you and where can people uh, interact if uh, they want to follow up with stuff that we talked about here? Yeah, um, ringp.in slash J-O-N. So ringpin slash John is the best way. I have a little page there that leads to almost everything else. Or on LinkedIn, there's a bunch of John Stearns, but only one under ringpin. So uh, easy to find on there. And, And I try and respond to everybody's message. Perfect. All right. Thank you, John. Thanks, everyone. Thanks again. Disrupt, a Bluemex podcast, is hosted by Ravi Ravindran and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. For more Disrupt content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.